or 101. So would you take your scriptures and turn to Psalm 101? Psalm 101, if you will give ear to the reading of God's word. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praise. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early will I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning because we know you're the one and only true and living God. The Apostle John tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He also tells us that Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Father, we come to this, your Word, to learn of you and of this marvelous plan of redemption you have given us. Help us this day to apply your truth in our hearts this morning as we study your word. In Christ's name, amen. Now, in the little place above the Psalms, this psalm is titled, A Psalm of David, which is just such a psalm that the man who, after God's own heart, would write when he he was about to be Israel's king. It is David written all over it. You can see that it is straightforward. It is resolute. There is no trace of design or vacillation in it. God has appointed David the king of Israel. David surely knew this to be true. Therefore, he purposes in all things to behave as becomes a monarch whom the Lord himself has chosen. There is a question here as to which time in David's life he might have written the psalm. Did he write it when Saul was killed by the Philistines and he became king over Judah? Was it at the time the whole nation was brought under his control? Maybe it was when he brought the Ark of the Covenant of Jerusalem from Obed-Edom's house. I don't know that it's extremely important which time he wrote it. But if we take a look at verse 2, I think we get a glimpse of, of what time it has was written. He says in verse 2, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? Now this seems to have the meaning that he soon expects to have the symbols of God's presence close to him. It was at this time that he came to a very solemn place of respect of God's great holiness that was more than ever incumbent on him as the king. It's at this time that he saw how important it was that he established the patterns for worship. 
he also at this time came to see how necessary it was to have those around him that had good character and were committed and loyal to their God-appointed king. We also see in this psalm the person of David sitting on the throne of Israel. We hear Jesus, the King Messiah, declaring how he intended to walk and govern his household, the church. We also hear him describing the qualifications which should be required of both ministers and servants in his church. Therefore, the title I give this sermon reflects David's thoughts. The title is Faithfulness to the Lord. This psalm is a very fitting sequel to the coronation and theocratic psalms which preceded. It is a fitting composition of, for all who rule all, who sit in the seat of justice charged with the responsibility of enforcing the law. Ernest the Pious, Duke of Saxe, Gotha, a Duke jerk duchy. The Duke was the father of Prince Albert who married Queen Victoria in England. He sent a copy of this psalm to a minister in his territory who had become unfaithful in his duties. It became a proverb in the land that when a minister of state or church was guilty of misconduct, he would soon get the Duke's psalm to read. I can think of a few in our day that need this psalm. It was written to change the hearts of all who want to go into service for the Lord. There is really no way to break this psalm into sections because there's only one main point it, it expounds. Therefore, I prefer to keep it as a whole and not develop some fake outline. We will follow it verse by verse. Verse 1. I will sing of mercy and judgment. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. Now David having determined to sing unto the to, to Jehovah, picks for his theme mercy and judgment. He is speaking of the mercy which God has shown to him and of the judgment which has befallen him in his sin. David extols both the love and the severity which the Lord mixed throughout his life. He would admire the justice and the goodness of his life. This song leads one to making resolutions for change in their conduct. It's calling those seeking to serve the Lord's house no, to faithfulness to the Lord. You must be faithful to Christ. That's the whole point of Christianity. We come to serve Christ and to serve his body. Jesus Christ came into this world to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He came and died the atoning death that we might be able to come before God and be forgiven. You need to place your faithfulness in Christ and in Christ alone and in nothing else. It is calling those seeking to serve the Lord's house to be faithful to the Lord. This is good. This is good when it is undertaken by men coming into office of leadership. If you're a leader in any way, you need to pay particular attention. And most all of us have leadership in some area. The things we admire in leaders are those things in which we work hard to imitate our, our, in our own lives. Mercy and judgment were two things that, God, that David had seen in God. And he wants to imitate those characteristics in his own life. Everything in God's dealing with us may fittingly become the theme of a song from our hearts. 
This singing is praising our Lord for what he has given us so that it can help us to be more like him. What we need to learn from this is that we need to praise the Lord and be faithful to his word. To praise him as much for his judgment against our sins as for the mercy which he forgave us our sins. What this means is that there is as much love in correction as there is in the accolades from our repentance. As you stop and examine, as you remember your past life, it sins, it becomes impossible to really know which has been more helpful to you in your growth. Can you really separate between the comforts which have cheered you and the afflictions which have plagued you? Oh Lord, I will sing praise. You understand. Jehovah will have our praise. It must be known by all who believe that both the mercy and the judgment must hold a lower place in our thoughts than the hymns we sing in our hearts. Why? Because our soul's worship must be to offer praise to our Lord, which is our duty. The mercy of God comes to us mainly, but not exclusively, from the forgiveness of our sins. Micah chapter 7 verse 8. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Is this not something worth your praise? If you don't get excited, if you don't get excited by this promise, then my friend, you have no fear of God in your heart. Luke 1.50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Remember, the fear of the Lord comes from knowledge. Look back over your life for the providential acts of God that come from his mercy and judgment. When you see them, lift your voice in praise. I will sing of mercy and judgment to you, O Lord. I will sing praise. The goal of any leader is to show his faithfulness to the Lord. Verse 2. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. What we must understand is that to be holy is to be wise. A perfect way is a wise way. We can learn from David's life that his resolve to do what was right was excellent. But we do find his practice was not always in sync with his resolve. He was not always wise or perfect. However, it was, it was well that he desired in his heart to be both wise and perfect. Now, we know some of the stories about David. So when you read this, you have to read, in fact, this is the Lord putting this in David's heart. David was learning from it as well as you are. A king or any leader has need to be both sage and pure. If he fails in intent, when he takes the throne, his conduct will be a sad example to his people. He who does not resolve to do well is sure to do evil. Kings, servants, parents, employers, teachers, elders, deacons, and especially ministers should make it a part of their daily devotion to pray for both wisdom and holiness 
for they have great need of both. David cries out, Oh, when will you come to me? This is a quick cry for help, but it is never interrupted. David feels the need not merely for divine help, but also for God's presence. He needs it, for he so desperately needs instruction. He also needs sanctification, so he will be fit for the discharge of a divine duty. David knew he was in need of a special visitation from the Lord. He knew he could not do this work he was called to without divine help. If God be with you, you will not err in judgment nor transgress in character. You, as a good believer, should be able to see infirmity so that as it approaches, you can cry out to God for help. You need to be full of prayer so you are crying out in every season. You must be so intense in your desire so you come crying with sighs and groanings which cannot be uttered, saying, O Lord, when will you come to me? David follows all of this with these words, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. What we see here is that piety has to begin at home. Your first duty begins in your household. You must work hard to have a perfect head, a perfect heart at home. If you're not working hard to develop that perfection at home, how can you expect to have such outside of the home? Now, we must understand, we can never be perfect in this lifetime, but we can work toward that perfection in Jesus Christ. Do you study the Bible? It's the instruction book for life with Jesus Christ. We opened with the importance of singing songs of praise. These words of wisdom and perfection are the ground of our hymn for praise. They bring harmony to our lives and we must lift our voices and praise God for it all. Now I ask you, I'm going to start meddling now. I ask you, how is it with your family? Do you sing in your heart? Are you a saint in public and a devil when you're alone? If you are, shame on you. What we are at home, out of the public's eyes, what we really are. He cannot be a good king whose palace is a den of wickedness. He cannot be a true saint whose habitation is a scene of strife. He cannot be a good minister whose family dreads his coming home. Now, I know everyone here is thinking, how can I be saved if all of this is true? None of us are perfect or pure. We all have these sins to deal with. Look first at your intent. What do you truly want to be? What's in your heart? Then compare that to your practice. Look to Jesus Christ. Ask him to guide you in the intent of your heart and sanctify you in your practice. Verse 3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. David says 
He will in no way set anything wicked before his eyes. He declares he will neither delight in it, make it his desire, nor endure it. He's showing his intent. He says he will not allow others to bring wickedness before him. David declares if it does get before him, he will turn from it and not consider it. Here's where you need to be. You need to say no to any evil thing that comes before you. Today, this can be a challenge because you have so many instruments that can be used to draw you into evil thoughts and ways. Radio, TV, computers, even phones can bring evil to, your, to you in a heartbeat. You must be prepared. Prepared to shut it down and not to be entertained by such filth. Now please understand, these same instruments can be used for great good. They can teach you many things and help you in your work to serve the Lord. You must continue to ask God's help in keeping your heart clean and pure. Charles Spurgeon lays this out very well. The psalmist is very sweeping in his resolve. He declines the least, the most reputable, the most customary form of evil. No wicked thing. Not only shall it not dwell in his heart, but not even before his eyes. For what fascinates the eye is very apt to gain admission into the heart. Even as Eve's apple first pleased her sight and then prevailed over her mind and hand. What does the psalmist add to this concept? I hate the work of those who fall away. David was against evil. This was not a matter of indifference to him. He viewed it with utter scorn and abhorrence. You must learn this. Hatred of sin is a great guard at the door of goodness and virtue. We can find many in our courts of leadership that fail to walk in righteous paths. They would rather follow the low path into sin and corruption. They refuse to hear the standard of law and instead want to follow shortcuts, want to follow twists and turns and to do things for dishonest people that hurt those who are honest. David says he will be careful not to hire such men as these. David did keep this resolve in many areas, but we know he was not perfect in it. He did work at it, and when he did fall, he always turned back to God and confessed his sin and repented. Many of the Psalms he wrote were words of penitence. How much do you need divine keeping? There is not one here who is more perfect than David was. If the truth be known, as only you and God can know your heart, you fall far short of David in many ways. Even the Apostle Paul showed this same attitude in Philippians 2-3. Let nothing be done through, vain, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. David says, he shall not cling to me. I'll disown the ways of the wicked. I'll not imitate them in their policy. Like dirt that falls on me, I'll wash it off and never rest until I'm clean. It's one of the great objects of your care to disentangle yourself 
from such transgressions and all that is associated with them. There is only one way this can be achieved. Only one. The Lord must come to you and he must abide with you continually. Verse 4. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. He says a perverse heart will depart from me. I think we have to recognize that David is referring to all here, himself included. He does not want to be crooked in heart himself or have around him others who are crooked in heart. As is the king, so will be the court. As is the husband and father, so will be the family. As is the employer, so will be the employees. As is the minister, so will be the church. If the minister preaches God's word, so will the people live by God's word. David makes it clear that if he finds such people of crooked heart in his court, he will remove them and replace them with others who have a right heart. This is true of the Messiah King also. Jesus will allow no one to enter his court that doesn't have a new heart. They will all come with a resolve to worship their Lord with a pure heart. Heaven is the perfect picture of this kingdom. Those who come will be made perfect in every way because they will be like their Lord when they see. Your perfection will be a gift from your Lord, for you could not earn it on your own. David follows this with, I will not know wickedness. Part of this great resolve that David has and every believer should have is to know and avoid all forms of wickedness. The believer will not seek intimacy with any kind from a wicked person. Yes, you must know him as a man or you could never know his character. When you see that he is a man of wickedness, you will then leave him to himself. You are com- you, you, your only communion with him must be when you give him the gospel and call him to Jesus Christ. To know in scripture means more than mere perception. It means to have fellowship. Leaders have to disown those who neglect righteousness. If they in- interact in any intimate way with the wicked, they will soon themselves be known as wicked. Verse 5. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. David had suffered greatly from supposed friends that turned against him. He had been slandered and he knew the miseries that such slander could bring. Distraction, ambition, and avarice are three things that spring up and flourish in any court. David declared his resolve to undertake the difficult task of eradicating them from his court. He did this for the people that would not be hurt, that they would not be harassed by informers or oppressed by insolent and greedy militants. Is it possible? Is it possible that these wicked men would be less odious in the eyes of that king whose character was composed of humility and love? Ask yourself. Do you believe Christ will admit such evil into his court in heaven? If David was determined to stop their mischief, then there can be no doubt that Christ will never allow them anywhere near his court. 
David was a good king and he resolved to prune every unholy branch from the tree of his court. The psalmist looks deeper into this need for pruning. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. Proud, domineering, and pompous men who tend to look down on the poor as though they were just trash to be burned. A good leader would never condone such. The sight of such wicked people would cause a good leader to suffer. Therefore, he should never suffer them. Be aware that even great men will on occasion develop aristocratic airs and haughty manners. David, seeing this, made a resolution that none should be great in his palace, but those who had enough grace and more sense than to let vanity make them proud and foolish. Note, proud men are always hard and thus unfit for leadership. Men who look down on anyone else always provokes enmity and discontentment. The fewer such people in leadership, the better for stability. And all of those who slander were to be cut off, they would be cut off today. You must realize that if a census were taken immediately thereafter, there would be far fewer people in this world. Verse 6. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the Lamb, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. David wanted to find the faithful of the Lamb. He wanted to engage their services. He wanted to take care of them. He wanted to raise them up in honor. This should be the job of every leader, to find those who would serve with honor. They should build their team with good men, faithful men. The good men that serve such a leader will most assuredly find their pay better than listening to the flattering words of an unrighteous boss. It is great blessing to the people who are governed by such a king. It is indeed a blessing for the people who choose their leaders by piety rather than cleverness. The people that find a faithful leader they get a real treasure. And they should do whatever it takes to keep them. Those who are not faithful to God will definitely not be faithful men. If you're faithful yourself, you shall not care to have those about you who do not speak the truth. Those who do not keep their promises will cause you to not be satisfied until all those leading you are faithful men with upright character. Isn't that what we want? We want men that know the Lord, men that have that upright character, men that do their best to follow the Scripture, and when they are pointed out to be wrong in Scripture, they'll change. That's what we need for the church, for the government, for everything. David goes on to show, He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He is saying, What I wish to be, that I desire by servants to be. Today, we would hold an employer responsible for their employees. It's not wrong to blame the employer if he retains an employee of notorious character. The lesson in this is that lest we become partakers in other men's sins, 
We must not indulge men of bad character in the role of a servant. A good employer does well to choose good employees. He may hire a prodigal in an effort to help him find his way, but he must be diligent in his oversight. We have a real good example of what hiring men of bad character to serve us in our government can do. Just what? Just look at what's happening in our own federal government. They have chosen men not based on their knowledge and ability, but on their militant social views. Hiring employees based on anything but knowledge of the area they will work in and the quality of their character is just simply a bad thing. In the church, elders may be referred to as the eyes of Christ. They are to watch over the people. They do this to guide and oversee their people. We pray that they will be especially dedicated to this when new ministers are being brought in to teach and preach. We want them to find faithful and wise men to be teachers and pastors. Verse 7. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. The king, the king had the power to hire his servants and he meant to watch over that process diligently. In many people, deceit is reckoned as a virtue and is only censured when it's not clever or cunning enough to be effective and fails to further the liar's goal. Consider the time in which David was called to be king, and it is remarkable that he saw the harm such attitude could foster, especially in the court. All the kingdoms around Israel were known for their political intrigue. David said, not in my house. And he set his face against such in his court. David knew he could not tell what a deceitful man might be planning. He could not tell what plots he might be contriving. He could not know what mischiefs he might be stirring up. Thus he resolved he would keep such men out of his house. He was not about to allow his palace to become a den of villainy. Cheats in other people's houses are bad enough. But in your own house, you must not allow them. He goes on with this line of thought. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. David would not have a liar in his presence. He hated even the mention of a liar's name. It takes the grace of God to make any of us truthful. We're all liars at heart. Until we've given a new heart. It's that same grace that makes any kind of deception a horror to us. Now think about this for a moment. If David and other men of faith hate lying so much, what do you think God thinks about lying? No liar will have a place in heaven, says Revelation 21, uh, 8. Liars are obnoxious in this world, Proverbs 12, 22. The things those who hate lies and take heart in is that in heaven we shall be free from all liars. Isn't that wonderful? Our hearts will be swept clean. We will no longer be liars. Nobody else there will lie. Our Lord came into this world to give us the truth. He has no time for liars. 
It is thus important that we learn, leave lying behind and hold only to his truth. Verse 8. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. We've been talking about the faithfulness of the Lord. Faithfulness to the Lord. What I hope you will understand is that the kingdom of David is only a faint image of the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you must set Christ in front of you. George Horn says, the message of this last verse is that the man who takes up a position of leadership does so with the main goal of his service being to root out wicked behavior, remove evil servants, and to maintain God's true religion and virtue. There's no greater call on anyone than this. Believers are called to this service, be they a parent, an employer, a a foreman, a policeman, a president, prince, or king. In conclusion, let me get you to the bottom of what this psalm teaches, which is faithfulness to the Lord. Jesus Christ came into this world to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived the perfect life that none of us could ever live. He took and and paid our price with his perfect life on Calvary's cross. He was our atonement. And then he won the resurrection victory by defeating death in order to open heaven's gate for us. He calls you. He calls you to come to him. He calls you to be faithful to his word. Consider the place he has planted you in this life, where you are right now. And make your resolution to be faithful to him in all you do. You work for Jesus Christ. You do not work for some man. Therefore, do everything you do, absolutely the best you can, in order to bring honor to Jesus Christ in your life. You do not hire others to be your slave, but to be a guide for them into the truth. Treat them with respect. Treat them with kindness so as to honor your Lord. Commit your life to be faithful to the Lord in everything you do. There's no other way for us to live this life than in being faithful to our Lord. Let's pray. Father, you have told us, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. We stand this day on your word, O Lord. We place our hope in Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, and all he did for us in living the perfect life, dying the atoning death and winning the resurrection victory. Grant us the strength to hold fast in our faith, the courage to be witnesses of your grace, and the knowledge to refute error. We love you. We appreciate all you have done for us through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you take your hymnals and turn to hymn 468?